0: We rejoice that you rose that we would be free indeed, free from every plan of darkness, free to live and free to love. Lord, we rejoice at the good news this week. That there's a realization of after almost fifty years of praying. Roe versus Wade was overturned by the U.S. Supreme Court. We rejoice at your good work that we have seen your hand accomplish. But we also recognize there is much greater work to be done. Lord, we are in need of revival. We are in need of the (laughs) eternal work of an awareness of who you are. And we pray for the miracle of transformed hearts across our nation. Not just for outward or temporal works, but that your glory might be known in this land. Oh Lord, would you not stop at what you have done, but would you continue and would you make anew. Do the work that only you can do, we pray. In your great name, Jesus. Amen. And man, you may go ahead and be seated. Thanks so much for being here. I want to add my welcome to Matt's, particularly for our guests. My name is Aaron Campbell, one of the pastors here at Redeeming Grace Church. And this morning we are going back to something we began several months ago, but we have not had time in for the last few months so, uh, if you have your Bibles, you can begin to open to 2 Peter, where we will be looking this week and next week. 2 Peter chapter 1, picking up our series there, and then in a couple weeks, Matt will be concluding um, our series on 1 Corinthians. I think some of the most frightening words in the New Testament appear in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus declares, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. course there is no more eternally important question than what our standing is before God. So in this sermon, Jesus gave the large crowds coming after him an important warning against overconfidence, particularly overconfidence due to a faulty basis of their standing with God. Claiming a familiarity With Jesus crying out, Lord, Lord. That's not the ticket. Nor is a list of your accomplishments. Didn't we do this, Lord? Didn't we accomplish this, Lord? Look at what we have done. few chapters later, Matthew chapter 12, Jesus was teaching and heard that his, mother's, his mother and brothers wanted to speak to him, to which he replied, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Before declaring in verse 50, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven, those who love And obey God's word. They are my brother and sister and mother. That same day he gave the parable of the soils as a picture of different responses to his word. You know, the parable, the one where some gospel steed was snatched away by birds. Others fell on rocky ground that couldn't take root. And other was choked out by the weeds and concerns of this life. What distinguished the good soil from all the others? It wasn't the gospel message that was sown. That was the same on each soil. What was different, Jesus said in Matthew 13, 23, was that as for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, and another 60, and another 30. Likewise, in John 15, Jesus exhorted that apart from him, we can do nothing but Abiding in Him produces much fruit. He says in verse 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. It's quite appropriate for us to examine whether our lives reveal us to be workers of lawlessness or bearers of fruit doing the will of the Father. False assurance is deadly. If our lives are not consistent with our profession of faith, we must take that seriously. There is no more important business for anyone to be about. That's why Jesus preached these messages again and again and again to the crowds. But there's a related danger that regularly paralyzes many genuine believers. May no one rest assured who has no reason to do so but when God has brought someone from death to life and his spirit dwells within them there should be an accompanying assurance in his work that produces Faithfulness and fruitfulness in us. Too many believers often lack assurance or struggle with it to a degree that the yield of their fruit is hindered. And that's what Peter is going to address with us this morning. So let's read now from 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 5 through 11. For this very reason, make every effort. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control. And self-control with steadfastness. Steadfastness with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore brothers Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, you will be richly provided for you and an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Two preliminary statements I want to make as we talk about assurance of faith this morning. First, I think that every genuine believer has questions and doubts, at least from time to time. Teen and adult years may in particular be filled with such questions as we seek to identify what do I really believe? What is my faith is it just what my parents have always told me? Do I really believe these things for myself? But, but these things often linger and follow us into adulthood. and We can wrestle far beyond. Because of passages like this, we wonder, am I in a good place? Am I trusting enough? Am I blind to something or fooling myself? Or we try and read the tea leaves of the circumstances of our lives. Saying things aren't going exactly the way I want them to go. Is that a sign? Is God trying to tell me something? That I'm really not where I should be. We recognize the internal importance of this issue. So we do heart checks to make sure we are where we should be. Friends, that's normal. It's also normal in the course of such self-examination to recognize that we don't love God completely. That we don't obey Him as much as we should. That's a normal part of evaluation. In fact, I would say, if your assessment is that you have been loving the Lord with all of your heart and all of your mind and all of your soul and all of your strength, then you are deceived. That is false assurance for none of us. This side of glory will ever measure up to the fullness of Christ. That's why he came. Having occasional questions or doubts is a normal experience for genuine believers. But we must not be paralyzed by such questions or find ourselves in a state where we are not bearing fruit because we're stuck in such a place. The second preliminary statement I want to make is that we must avoid the temptation of comparison when gauging our spiritual condition for multiple reasons. First, the genuine believers display different fruitfulness. As we just saw referenced from the parable of the soils, one yielded a hundredfold, one sixty, one thirty. Someone yielding thirty should not look at someone producing a hundredfold and conclude that they are not really saved. Another reason is that we have a very limited view of each other, particularly when it comes to to the heart so comparisons are rarely based on reality and almost never result in or almost always result in either pride or condemnation neither of which is fruitful or beneficial of course the biggest reason argument against comparison is that others are never the standard that God measures against we are all measured against Jesus and found wanting. It's why he came. It's why it's good news. That the credit for his righteousness. Was transferred to our account. At salvation. Which is as a reminder. From a few months ago. When we looked at the first two verses. Of this book. Peter began this letter. Addressing those who have obtained. Obtained a faith of equal standing with himself and the other apostles by the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The main idea of this passage, verses 5 through 11, is that we are to confirm Christ's work of salvation in us because the awareness of being forgiven fuels faithfulness. See, true believers never just believe. They bear fruit. An awareness of forgiveness produces good deeds and lasting fruit in our lives. So Peter calls us to diligence so that we can be convinced of what God has done and be fruitful as we live our lives in response to that reality. In verses 5 through 7, Peter exhorts his readers to supplement their faith with a list of qualities. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. The idea of a supplement is something that completes or makes an addition. We just mentioned that Peter began this letter writing to those who have already obtained a faith... Of equal standing with the apostles by Christ's righteousness. So, what can we add to that? In terms of our standing before God, absolutely nothing. We are declared righteous both now and forever. And cannot do better than His righteousness that has been credited to us. But in terms of our temporal experience and our witness, the conduct of our lives following conversion makes visible the work of God within us. His transforming grace is evidenced by the fruit produced in the power of His Holy Spirit. We are saved by faith alone, through grace alone. But as we saw in James, saving faith never remains alone. It reveals itself through actions and attitudes that declare Christ is alive and active here. These qualities complete our faith by giving evidence, testifying to what otherwise would be His hidden work within us. Now as good Protestants, we always seek to clarify that these works don't save us. They reveal His saving work in us. And that's very much the case here. Our actions don't make His work better, but rather put his work on display. In fact, Peter uses really strong language to make sure that is conveyed loud and clear. Verse 8, he says, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Notice which comes first. Not these actions in order to be able to be accepted by God, but our knowledge of him and what he has done for us that produces this effectiveness and this fruitfulness. Then Peter doubles down and says, When these qualities are lacking, it's from a spiritual blindness where believers forget that they are actually cleansed from their sins. Fruit doesn't make us forgiven, but it should surely follow forgiveness. That's our first point. Fruitfulness follows forgiveness. You remember when Jesus was at the house of Simon the Pharisee. A sinful woman entered the home and anointed Jesus' feet with expensive perfume and her own tears. And Simon took that occasion to judge the woman, but not only the woman, Jesus himself. Surely if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is. He's allowing to touch him, weep over him. Jesus responded to what was going on in Simon's heart by declaring Simon, what, what's happening here is she loves much because she has been forgiven much. An awareness of forgiveness. Pred- Produces a change. It produces good fruit in our lives. So Peter, a witness to those events, is imploring his readers, don't be nearsighted. Look at the big picture so that you aren't blinded moment by moment, just by your circumstances, by the way you feel right now. Everything has changed for those that are in Christ. You aren't who you used to be. You have been cleansed. You are a child of God. The Holy Spirit of God dwells within you. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more steadfast love of the Lord, it never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. That should make our hearts sing. And our lives look distinct from those who walk through this world without God and without hope. Your faithfulness is never the grounds of his forgiveness. But realizing and understanding his faithfulness and his forgiveness should motivate us to live in a new way. In a distinct way. That's what motivates Peter to issue a command to confirm our standing. And that's our second point, that we are to diligently confirm his forgiveness. Peter uses strong language language about believers with stunted fruitfulness. But in the midst of his strong language, let's not miss his heart. His burden, his desire is that he wants us to know He wants us to have assurance now of the welcome we will receive in glory. He's not writing these things to those whose standing is in doubt, but those who doubt their standing. There is so much comfort and peace and rest and joy that our hearts miss out on when we lack confidence now about forever. So, Peter commands us to be diligent to know now what Christ has provided for us forever. Verse 10 he says, Therefore, brothers, Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. You will never fall. You will be effective and fruitful, benefiting not only yourself, but those around you. And you will gain confidence. As he says in verse 11, there will be richly provided for you An entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Friends, your struggles and questions are not unique in redemptive history. Peter wouldn't be writing to be diligent, to make your calling and election sure, unless he was aware There was at least a category, if not a significant portion of believers who were genuinely saved, yet did not possess assurance. So inspired by the Holy Spirit, recognize these aren't just Peter's words, but God's exhortation to us this morning. God wants you to be sure. Peter's command of diligence to those lacking assurance lets lets us know that God wants us to know where we stand. His desire for those who are anxious or unsure is that they can take comfort and be fruitful in Him. Now if you are coming with the perspective that your church attendance or your giving or your good heart towards others is what will win you favor with God on the day of judgment, please hear. Your confidence is in the wrong place. You are in grave danger. You must come to see that Christ alone is your only hope for forgiveness and relationship with God in the balance is the difference between well done good and faithful servant and depart from me but here here peter is writing to the church where jesus was making those declarations to the vast crowds following him often for the wrong reasons because their bellies were fed they liked this teacher that kind of ticked off the authorities. Peter's writing to the church, not primarily out of a concern over false assurance. He seeks to care for those with a genuine saving relationship who lack assurance or confidence in their salvation. If you're in that place this morning, know that God knows. He sees you and he desires you not to stay in that place. He wants to care for your soul in a way that you can have confidence in his work on your behalf. That you might enjoy the life now and forever that he has provided for you. whether you are unconvinced that all of your sin could ever really be forgiven or fearful that the failures and indiscretions disqualify you from a grace that seems too good to be true, unsure that, am I really doing enough, believing enough? Peter points Not to a feeling or an action on their part, not a decision made that they raised a hand or walked an aisle, but even further back to their calling and their election actions by God on their behalf for their benefit they might rest assured in Him and produce much power or might produce much fruit in the power of His Holy Spirit and th- those key moments maybe when He made us aware of His call but assurance arrives not from focusing on our response but His great love His unfathomable commitment to us. That's where our confidence needs to lie. Again, look look who Peter is commanding to be all the more diligent to confirm their calling and election. He says, brothers. It's affirming. He's addressing those who lack confidence rather than warning the overconfident. He's imploring Confirm, rehearse, remember, reflect, rejoice in, celebrate your calling and election. Because the remembrance and appreciation of being cleansed and transformed, transferred from condemnation to communion, enmity to union, bondage to freedom, from filth to forgiveness, darkness to light, death to life. Oh, if we focus on these places, we can be amazed and strengthened. These are the things that are to fuel our responsive love to God. Not a love from us that we're trying to acquire or obligate God to us. but a a love that is a response of His great love for us. and propels the production of good fruit and good deeds in our lives. Yes, recount your testimony. How God called you, made known His great mercy and love for you, adding you to His divine family. We should remember, we should reflect, we should go back to that place where he made it known to us. We should marvel at how before the foundation of the world he knew you. But he didn't just know you, he loved you. And he planned not only for his son to be given For the sins of the world. But for you specifically. Remind yourself that the gospel is not just good news generally. For all who believe and receive it. But for you personally. He called you by name. Your sins have been washed away, removed as far as the east from the west. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Reflect on his truth that you might rest in his love and then live your life as a response to such wondrous reality. Our third point is that based on this, we are to be fruitful and multiply our effectiveness. Peter's highlighted qualities start with virtue. Basically means we're to be good. I mean, it's a bit more than just not being a jerk, but it's not less than that. We start with a need to do what's right. To be good. Progresses with knowledge. Because there's usually a lot we don't know or understand. As we begin the Christian life. So it's as we grow in understanding and honoring his word. That he transforms us. More and more into his likeness. There's to be self-control. Which again is something that needs to come and grow over time gaining mastery over our thoughts over our words and desires in case you are unaware already that's not a destination we arrive at but it's a lifelong pursuit or to continue to grow and mastering these different things steadfastness Perseverance, it's the the reality that virtue, self-control, these things are not a moment that we experience. But it's the idea of heading in the same direction, step by step for a lifetime. We've turned from our former way and we walk in a new direction by his strength. There's to be godliness. We can have other heroes, other models, but the more we grow in our knowledge of him, the more we should want to be like him and seek to display his character to those around us. We should be grateful for those who are a couple steps ahead of us in the Lord. And and yes, models are great. But ultimately, the goal is to be like him. Brotherly affection. There's the potential for some of these other items to be practiced to a degree without the involvement or maybe interference from others. But this one can't be. We are called out of the world and into relationship with those, let's be honest, we may have nothing else in common with besides our union in Christ. Yet, more is not needed to build us and build in us an affection that frankly is often greater than folks we have tons in common with outside of Christ. What unites us in Christ is greater than anything that separates us, and it's greater than any other thing that could unite us. And so we're to have an affection for one another and ultimately it's to grow into love which is more than just affection but a willingness to consider others as more important than ourselves to look to the interest of others around us serving, forgiving and laying our lives down even as Christ himself is our example. It's a list that overlaps and bears a strong resemblance to the fruit of the Spirit Paul gives in Galatians 5. And by design, they're, they're fairly broad qualities. These aren't a one-time checklist. They're things that we can be growing in each one of them over time as we commune more with Him and grow to be more like Him. It's a new way of living for those given new life. These qualities should be present. And Peter says they should be increasing because living things grow. The longer we walk with him, the more we should look like him. Those abiding in him produce much fruit. A reminder that this isn't primarily by our willpower, our strength. But it's a walking with him, a recognizing it's him at work, a rejoicing in what he has done that then fuels and produces much fruit, 30, 60, 100 fold. And where we might be tempted to be overwhelmed, let's remember the words we skipped over at the very beginning of verse 5 says, for this very reason. We haven't referenced that yet, but that's going back to verses 3 and 4 where Peter exhorted us to live this way as a result of what he said was God's divine power that has been granted to us To give us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. He's calling us to live in his power. Not our own strength. Even this supplement to our faith is to come from what he has provided None of this is just up to you and your efforts and abilities. Beginning with your election before the foundation of the world, to Him calling you out of darkness into His glorious light, to His divine power giving you all you need pertaining to life and godliness. You are not on your own, you are forgiven. And declared righteous by God. There is now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate you from his love. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He dwells within you and is empowering you to live your life for his glory. Fruitfulness flows from forgiveness. So be diligent to confirm and remember his forgiveness that we might indeed be fruitful and multiply our effectiveness in him. Let's pray together. If the band could come.